All right. <clears throat> okay. Me, 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 me. Red leather, yellow leather. John Pudworth's in New York. <laughs> Elsewhere in New York, Rob Long. Hey, Rob. Hi, John. I hope you enjoy this contractually obligated glop. The contractually <laughs> obligated glop. Also featuring in Washington. In It's an interesting angle. I'm looking at Jonah. His camera is uh, below him looking up. It's fine. And it looks oh. up to Jonah. And then behind him is a window that indicates to me that he is in the basement of his house. Yes, I have a basement apartment. And there are many... Men, hold on. Okay, let me start again. We don't start again. Okay, start again. Again. Start again. I, I have I, to. I can keep this. This is gold. Yeah. I don't know what happened here. I was on the mic. I was oh. on the blue oh, snowball. Yeah. I got to go after that one. We have squad guys. This is completely error free. I have to go so back. So reliable. Out. I have to go back out and come back in. It's normally your dope on the floor and magic on the mic. <laughs> Okay, sorry. I actually so, consider politically incorrect to, at least in the Episcopal Church, to say Old Testament. We don't say it anymore. We say the Hebrew Bible. Uh, well, Jews don't really say the Old Testament either, right? Yeah, right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a separate yeah. issue. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Gold. This is in. I mean, we're putting this in. Okay. This is content. This is content. Contractually obligated content. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's bad. It means that we have to do it. I'm sorry, John. You you were you were introducing. That's what she said. <laughs> no, that's not what she said. <laughs> hey, hey, sorry. It's pop culture. The last day of February. We are the last We're going to use that part already. Yeah, yeah. We're, we are. We're, yeah, we're, yeah, we're moving. Ma- mention that we had a technical problem, and then okay. we're back on a different mic, okay. and then just keep going. Okay. We had a technical problem, and I'm back on a different mic, and now we're going to go. <laughs> really Gold. great. Wow. Thank you. You know what I love about what you did is that you took you, you took the line reading, but you made it yours. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. Really. Yes. That's, of course, Bob Long. I ha- you know, and the weird thing is that I uh, I didn't introduce Jonah. Oh, he's he's Jonah. Jonah Goldberg in his wi- with his in his basement with the window. I don't know yeah, what the hell I'm talking about. And out out my window, I um, I can see um turns. That's what uh, Clarice promised me is I would be able to see turns outside of my window. Turns. Turns. turns, you don't you can hear them screaming turns. to the turn from- scream to the t- or only the lamp. No, no, no. That was that was that was Clarice Starling's bluff to get Hannibal Lecter to cooperate. Was that she couldn't get him out of jail, but she could get him a cell with a window. Oh, right, and, yeah, right. On Anthrax Island, and there would be turns yeah. there. Right, and you know what? You know what you call a group of turns? What? What's that? A, cot- a cotillion. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you just I'm made that up. No, it's a cotillion of turns. Seriously? Seriously. Don't I, make I, me Google you, Long. Okay, Google. Google. <laughs> Go ahead and Google it. That's what you call a, a, a group of turns is a cotillion of turns. Okay. Yesterday, 
I heard this joke and I had to send it to Rob because it's a it's a it's the first non-Jewish joke I've heard in ages, and I thought it was really funny. So here's the joke because of Cotillion. Uh, why does the debutante not participate in the orgy? Why does the debutante refuse to participate in the orgy? Why? Because she because she'd have to write too many thank you notes. Hey now. <laughs> I know. Okay. That's what I'm well, I mean, it it presupposes that thank you notes are something that you should be embarrassed about. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> too many. Too it's many. just too many. It's like what the Margaret Mitchell's more than you know, their Mar- wedding. You know that Margaret Mitchell was unable who who died. I don't know, uh, ten year died in a car accident ten or twelve years after she published Gone with the Wind. Could not write a second novel. Because she insisted on answering every fan letter she received, and she received hundreds of thousands of fan letters. And writing thank you notes for all the fan letters took up her entire life until she was hit by a car. (laughs) That is an actual true story. I bet you it's true. Yeah. Sherry Lansing. Dullest movie ever, but an interesting story. Yeah. Sherry Lansing, who was at Paramount for a long time, was a producer and was an actress in the 60s, um, returned, famously returned every phone call, returned every single phone call, which was hard to do when you're running a studio. But she returned, if you, you were on a call sheet, she called you back. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't like screened or anything, or she found somebody to like shunt you off somewhere else. She returned every phone call. And I mean, I think it, it, it was one of the reasons why people, everyone loved her. Mm-hmm. No, it's. A, I mean, he loves her. She's yeah. still alive, I think. But like everybody, yeah. she doesn't, she's not running you know, the business anymore. She's retired, but everybody loved her because she just she was always like fully there. She is a very interesting case, Sherry yeah. Lansing, because she she was this very successful studio executive, had a very specific formula for making movies per right. studio. Paramount made mid mid budget movies. Uh, yeah. They did not. They did not go in for massively. They had like one or two, as they call them, tent poles, but they did not go in for massively budgeted things. They were looking for doubles and triples like that and not home runs. And she did it. She did it for like 12 years and 13 years. She has some major stars, though. I mean, she did. Indecent Proposal was her first big. She had the office upstairs from us. It was amazing. She was in Uh the old Joe Kennedy office, which the old RKO side, which was the Joe Kennedy office with a secret back staircase where um, Gloria Swanson would come up. Still there, Amazing. just two story. It was, and then they re- renamed it the Lucille Ball Building because Desi Lou bought RKO, and then they owned that half of the studio, and then Paramount bought Desi Lou, and then became one big, yeah. one big thing. But wow, she was, and she was really nice, and she always ate every every lunch she ate every day at the commissary. She can go place right. fancy. She had but one table in the commissary, um, and she said hello to everybody. And she was very, uh, she was extremely, extremely, um, uh, per- personally very nice to me, and I liked her very much. I mean, I think See, everybody I got distracted on this conversation yeah. by two things. One, yeah. I looked up Cotillion, and you yeah. were correct, Rob. Yeah, wow. thank you. And there are a lot of interesting names. Do you know what a group of vultures is? uh, Oh, I I didn't know this. What? A committee. A committee. Uh, That's so great. It's one of the things. There are a bunch of different things for for vultures. But there's also venue, volt, and wake. Um, But then when I was – there was plenty of time for me to recover from looking through this list of group names for birds. And then when you mentioned what's-her-face, 
I Jerry thought Lance, you were hey? talking about. Yeah, I thought you were talking about Sherry Lewis, the voice of Lamb Chop. <laughs> and I kept waiting for you to come around to it, and you didn't. And then I just lost it. So go on, talk about the cafeterias. Uh, I would say, do you, I mean, well, there's a couple other ones. Uh, that, uh, yes, I think I think you're right. I, I remember that a group of vultures is a committee. Uh, you know what a, a group of hyenas is? What's that? A CPAC. Hyenas. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I like I'd just um, like to say that Sherry Lewis's actual name was Phyllis Horowitz. So just to just to let you know. Okay, since we're doing full real names, yeah. there is that there is a terror. There's a rumor, not terror, but there's a rumor, and it's, I, I think it is untrue. But for a long time, the rumor was that Sherry Lansing's birth name, a real name, or maybe the name of her family. Maybe she didn't change; it was changed. Was Lansky. And she was related, the niece of or someone to the famous mobster Meyer Lansky. Oh, excellent! Which is one of the reasons why it was, you know, she got into show business so easily. But that is, but that is actually is actually not true. I, I don't, I don't know. It was a rumor. <laughs> I know. No, her it was father, a fantastic rumor. Her father was a, a rich, a rich uh, Chicago was a rich Oh, well, and, and then they couldn't be mob. There could be no mob ties then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but his name was something like Duel. I mean, I actually read her autobiography, so uh, his name was Duel or something. And her mother was a her mother was a refugee from from Nazi Germany. You um, were Sherry Lewis's autobiography. No, this is Sherry Lansing. Wow. Sherry Lansing. Oh. <laughs> yeah, now we're on Sherry, Sherry Lewis. But I would happily read. I would happily read six Sherry Lewis's autobiography. Yeah. If anyone with a, has ever with a forward it, by Lamb Chop. These people don't want to see you. They want to see me. Oh, I'm the star. Well, what am I doing here? Oh, how often I've asked myself that. Yeah. <laughs> or with a rebuttal by Lamb Chop. <laughs> Get your fist out of me. I am so 20 years in Hollywood by Lamb Chop. <laughs> I am so you know where crazy. Hands been? Yeah. I am not your puppet. <laughs> 20 years in Hollywood. Well, you know, Candace Bergen wrote an autobiography in which she talks yeah. about how she was envious of her father's puppets. Oh, but he ate with them. Yeah. Yeah, oh, Charlie yeah. McCarthy, yeah. are all insane. Edgar Bergen's, yeah. uh, Edgar Bergen's, uh, you know, ventriloquist dummy. Years ago, uh, a friend oh, of mine was yeah. was uh, a joke writer and was brought to uh, Las Vegas by his manager to meet Waylon Flowers. And Waylon Flowers, for those of you who are under ninety, had a little puppet named Madam. And to watch Waylon Flowers work was really to watch like um, a thousand years of homophobia. We've got to talk. All this about the perfect ten. I mean, who are they kidding? <laughs> you know and I know you're never going to find one. I've been looking for years in places you'd never dream of going. <laughs> and the best I've ever found was a three and a half. <laughs> and that was in centimeters. <laughs> because he hated himself so much, self-loathing, that his super gay self he gave to this puppet named Madam, who was this kind of sassy old lady, um, and it was like clear that this was the part of him that he couldn't accept. The, you know, now he'd be on RuPaul's Drag Race or something, but back then he had to correct him with a puppet, but he had various versions of her uh, because he was in Vegas, he had to like keep switching around, like he did three shows a night, so he didn't want to use the same, same sweaty puppet, and they were all hanging in his dressing room upside down, like bats, 
with her mouth open. It was incredibly spooky. You walk in like that. But he was sitting there, and he was sitting there. My friend Bob went to meet him. He was sitting there with the her, the, the the madam he had been using or was about to use. And as, as they're talking, uh, Bob looks at the other – Madams. Um, Madams. And then Madam says, the Madam that he's using says, don't look at them. Don't look at them. <laughs> and he kind of laughs, like this is kind of funny. Yeah. And then then Madam, the, the, the animated Madam gets very, very, kind of shrinks. And Waylon says, um, it's not a joke. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, so you realize that they're all insane. Right, Waylon Flowers, his great <laughs> line, and, and by the way, it was amazing to watch him. If you yeah, you, know, yeah. you go YouTube, because a Madam was a was a marionette. I mean, right. it, was, it wasn't just a, and he and so Madam made a lot of hand gestures. It was, very, gestures it was, it was very, very impressive. Very muppety, yeah, yeah, very muppety. And his line was, he would say, I, "I'm Madam." Uh, this is Wayland. He's no ventriloquist, and I'm no dummy. Because he didn't try to. Wayland Flowers didn't try to no, mask right. that he was right. speaking. Ah. Uh, uh, and the whole idea was you were just supposed to watch the puppet because the puppet was very animated and gesticular and all this. And so that's a. But um, uh, I am. I am. So great! You're talking about like Vegas and writers going to meet people <laughs> in Vegas and all this. Because as as you guys know, I am so crazy that I will read any showbiz biography or literally memoir. that is that, that literally is, that is literally any anyway. There's not. Yeah, I don't yeah, think there's yeah. a person who could write a book that you'd say. Eh, I don't know. They just did that guest spot on um, Joni yeah. Loves Chachi. I'm not sure. Yeah. Now you're in. So I, I I am I am almost done with a new book, a, a book on the Rat Pack, which is not mm. really about the Rat Pack. It's about Joey Bishop. Oh wow. And apparently Joey Bishop was the worst person who ever lived. <laughs> Joey Bishop been that was, a, be a competition. was a horrible, horrible monster. And in the early 1960s, uh, he became briefly a very big star. He was like the hottest guest on talk yeah. shows and Jack Parr loved him. And he was obviously a member of the Rat Pack. And so he got a sitcom, Danny Thomas. Uh, and Sheldon Leonard, who were making the uh, this, these hot sitcoms, uh, gave him a sitcom, and it was a mess. It ran for like three years, and the first one he was actually a, a sort of bumbling talent agent, and then he turned into a talk show host. Like in the second season, he turns into a talk show host. That weird thing where they would they would change up. They would keep the same cast and change all the characters and what they did and where they lived. <laughs> Doris Day did this like three or four times during her sitcom. Anyway, the reason I'm, I'm telling the story is that uh, apparently uh, he would hi hired all these comedy writers who became very famous later. Uh, Gary Marshall, Jerry uh, Belson, Fred Freeman, all these people. And all he would do is they would write something. He would like, that shit. I'm not saying that. You don't know funny. You don't, yeah. I only know funny. You don't know anything. You don't, like that. And he just abused them. For 30 weeks, and they would, and at what one point, in order to desperately to like make good with with Joey Bishop, one of them buys a new car, and they're like, you know, what we should do, let's drive to Vegas and go watch Joey's show. He's headlining at the, you know, at the Sands, and then we'll go backstage and say we just had to come and see you, and it's great. So they drive five hours, and they go and they watch it, and then they they go backstage. And they open the door, and he looks at them, and he's like, what the hell are you two doing here? Get the hell out of here! Like, <laughs> like that, you know? 
<laughs> so, uh, and and basically, uh, he developed such a horrible reputation, and he got such a swelled head right. that uh, his his career was ruined by his own misbehavior, and also because Frank Sinatra, whose son had just been kidnapped, and various other things, said to him, "Can you go do me a solid and fill in for me?" at the Neville or whatever, I, I need. I have a nine-day stand I can't do. Can you go do it? And Joey Bishop said, well, sure, Frank, but you need to send me your private plane, and I, I, I need to get, you know, what you were getting, and no brown M&Ms and this and that. And basically, Sinatra said, I'm done with you, and that was it. Wow. And he was cast out of the, I know, he was cast out of the circle of, you know. And, Somehow and, Peter Lawford stayed. No, Lawford was gone then, too. Oh. Lawford, he, he, 86 Lawford, uh, uh, he never forgave Lawford because, uh, he only had tolerated Lawford because he wanted to get close to Kennedy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know if you remember this whole story. He built a guest house for Jack Kennedy on his, at his Palm Springs. No, no, estate. I wrote about it. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You did, of course. Anyway, Lawford, so he was done. He was angry with Lawford because Joe Kennedy wouldn't let Jack come stay with Sinatra because of mafia connections. And then when Kennedy the died. the Kennedys are really strict about that. They right. really, really yeah. strict about it. They don't have any mob ties no, at all. No, no. Yeah. And then Joe when, Kennedy. Right. It's not like he needed to know everybody. And then after the assassination, Sinatra was like, you know what? I can't stand Lawford anyway. That's it. He's yeah, done. what's the point? So yeah. at that point, it was really the second crew of Forrest Tucker, Larry Storch, and young Gavin McLeod. Sure. <laughs> and you say that they with such a sneer. So How dare burned, you? Shame so on you. Larry uh-huh. Storch was like, uh, uh, he was but, for like six months. Oh yeah, they're all everybody. But the weird thing about like being a jerk is that you can be a jerk, and you can like dr- you can drive everybody insane. They just replace. They can easily replace anybody else but you if you're the star. What you can't do is like not show up. And not do the thing. Because, like, if the budget is actually the most sacred, or the time, it's not even the budget, it's really more the timetable. The schedule, especially with television, is the most sacred thing. Like, if you bust the schedule, there's no, there's no coming back from that. Uh, a, a, a with your jerkiness, could, you mean. Yeah, if you're, you could be as yeah. jerky as you want. And you could actually be but over. you got to get out of the trailer? Yeah, you got you could be even over money, over, over budget, which is, you know, I've, I've actually helped out on projects that were like that but the 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 timetable the idea of missing a date is like uh that's it you're done yeah you're done oh okay, let me I just wanna... and also if you and also if you can't be insured that's the other thing right. that you're so because i'm insane and i read every showbiz book and get my hands on because i saw a reference to this in the book about joey bishop i then also downloaded from from uh, amazon on, on the kindle a book called funny you should ask oral histories of sitcom writers have you ever heard of this no yeah rob scott oh, yeah. llewellyn is the name of the author and there's a fantastic story because you mentioned gavin mcleod that's what i want to say and then we can go into the first spot alan burns who was one of the creators and originators of the mary tyler moore show there he's talking here about the creation of the mary tyler moore show and how they were so incredibly careful with the casting and they uh, uh, unusually the writers uh, were very much involved with the casting which was not mm-hmm. necessarily the case then in 1969 so the story here is listen to this the first person we cast was Gavin McLeod, who came in to read for Lou. That's Lou Grant, who's eventually played by Ed Asner. The first words out of his mouth were, I'm wrong for this. I want to play Murray. 
We said, humor us. Please do Lou Grant for us. He did. It was okay, but it was not very good. Then we let him do Murray. He was not the first person in the room, but by the time he got there, we said, you're it. Absolutely. He had played heavies mostly. He was damn good with those bitchy, pithy lines. We had originally conceived of this character as being gay because Jim, that's James L. Brooks, had worked with a guy named Richard, which was the character's original name who was gay, and he had a pair of figure skates in his bottom drawer. And every day at lunchtime, when it was cold, he would go out and skate at Rockefeller Center. (laughs) So we had that picture of him. Murray never had skates, but we always felt the skates were there. For us, they were, although we had him married and gave him kids. So basically, that whole constant fight on the Mary Tyler Moore show between Sue Ann, Betty White, and and uh, Murray, Gavin, Gavin yeah. McLeod, was basically a, a fight between two, two gay, coded fight between two gay men, is how I look at it. <laughs> That's like how it you was look a, at it. It's interesting. Because it is, there's no question that Murray reads as a as a sort of Franklin Pangboard sort of closet, closet case, but this is the first time uh, and Gavin McLeod himself had kids, and he's a born-again Christian, uh, and, really? oh, yeah, a very serious Christian. Apparently, uh, he, I'm trying to remember the story. He was with was someone. Davis. And Ambie Davis. Well, Ambie Davis became, she was a, a resident at a, desert, at, a, yeah. at, a, at a Christian I don't know community. Why, I don't know why I'm, I'm pretending to contribute to this conversation. Anyway, anyway, that's the end of, okay, I have to do a spot now. Because yeah, we should I'm probably also stop okay. talking about We're contractually thousand year old Yeah. Okay. Look, online shopping can be daunting. You never know if things will fit, returns are difficult, and you don't even know what store to start with. This season, let Stitch Fix do all the hard work. Stitch Fix offers clothing hand-selected by expert stylists for your unique size, style, and budget. Every piece is chosen for your fit and your life, and it's the easy solution to finding what makes you look and feel your best. Try on pieces at home before you buy, keep your favorites, and send back the rest. Stitch Fix has free shipping, easy returns and exchanges, and a prepaid return envelope is included. No subscription is required. Try Stitch Fix once or set up automatic deliveries. You'll pay just a $20 styling fee for each box, which gets credited toward pieces you keep, and there are no hidden fees ever. Stitch Fix has styles and clothing to fit any occasion for women, men, and kids. They ship all over the U.S. and are available in the U.K. as well. Get started today at stitchfix.com glop, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com glop for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Stitchfix.com slash glop. Our thanks to Stitch Fix for sponsoring the Glop podcast. Jonah, you had a surprise topic. Yes. Um, and uh, we can take it as seriously or as unseriously as we'd like, but it's like uh, it's, it's made for, for, for you guys. Um, so last night uh, I stumbled on Independence Day for the 5,000th time. Right. And, um, ID four, uh, and my, um, <laughs> my wife and I were talking about it, about how absolutely terrible, not anti-Semitic, but just terrible. The Judd Hirsch character was playing oh, yeah. a Jew. Yeah. And started this conversation of who is the worst Jewish character in a movie. 
Oh, great. That isn't anti-Semitic. Oh. That Judd Hirsch character uh-huh. is, comes pretty close. Hey, don't tell him to shut up. You'll all be dead now if it wasn't my David. None of you did anything to prevent this. There's nothing we could do. We were totally unprepared for this. Ah! Don't give me unprepared. Come on, Julius. It was what, in the 1950s or whatever, you, you had that uh, spaceship? That, no, that. Yeah, that thing that you found in New Mexico. That. That was a not, not, not spaceship. Was that Roswell. Roswell, New Mexico, yeah. No, you had the spaceship and you had the bodies. They were all locked up in a, in a bunker. <laughs> Where was that? David. I don't know. Area 51, right? Area 51. You knew then. And you did nothing. What? You're going to Mars with a thing in the Chach and Aleya. Well, I got Spilkes from the Mars thing. It opens up. And yeah, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that. <laughs> Sorry to take that away from you, Rob. Dad, what? He's my son. I don't care. I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I'm, here, should I so not care that there's a spaceship? Yeah, so, like, my wife made the point that yeah. Harvey Firestein was as bad about being a gay character in that as Judd Hirsch was at it being a Jewish character, but they killed Firestein in like the first 10 seconds. It's approximately six hours. The signal's going to disappear and the countdown's going to be over. And then what? I have it, though. I know who it was, who was worse. Lawrence Olivier in the <laughs> oh, remake yes. of The yes. Jazz Singer. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. No, yes. That's I, I, I have sent you guys that clip, right? That's so I have great. saved yeah. that clip. You'd think so that, that all those years, since we're talking about this stuff, like uh, all those years being Danny Kaye's secret lover, he'd have a better Jewish accent. <laughs> You have no son, so you have no grandson. Well, you're wrong. You're wrong. And I'm sorry for you. For both of us. Kitianti. not just that he says i have no son when when his son neil diamond tells him that he's marrying neil diamond all right stop yeah, sorry okay, no, okay. Yeah. neil diamond is the son of Lawrence olivia yeah, right. okay just let that sink in <laughs> he, he, neil diamond tells him, the whole movie is just jaw-dropping he tells his father that he's going to marry a non-jewish woman played by lucy arnaz okay let, right. let's, let's just, right. Let's just think about that for a minute. So Neil Diamond's going to marry Lucy Arnaz, and he is the son of this cantor uh, who is a Holocaust survivor, Lawrence Olivier. And Lawrence Olivier doesn't just say, I have no son, which is sort of famous because it was in the commercial, so everybody saw it in the movie. But the scene goes on for like 15 seconds beforehand, and it's like he looks at him, and he starts shaking his head. Olivier's going, no, no, no. <laughs> then he says, I have no son. And then he does something that um, 
religious Jews do, yet they are going to mourn when after mourning, which is that they rend their garments. They rend their garments. They t- so he tears his jacket open, and Neil Diamond, who is really an excellent actor, goes like this. Papa, Papa, please, Papa, <laughs> Papa, come on, Papa, and then, and then, like, and then, and then, Lucy Arnaz is like, you know, it's like, Cantor Schlopnowitz, please sit down, Cantor Schlopnowitz, no, it is one of the great scenes. You can wow, find you're it. doing a good job. The oh. weird thing about it is that, that Lawrence Olivier's previous movie, he played Devisa Engel in Marathon Man. That's so he right. Goes, that's, that's right. Joseph, that's he right. could play. He could play both Joseph Mengele and and, and the side. Yeah. And then he plays Simon Wiesenthal in The Boys from Brazil. Yeah. So basically, he'll, yeah. you know. He plays all sides. He plays all sides. He's a, he's a utility player when it comes to set that that topic, shall yeah. we say. So I would say that the other, is it okay if I go with a TV movie or not? Sure. Whatever. Okay. There are no rules here. So this, this is Disney contractual Channel. content, my friend. So whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> Disney Channel. I only saw it because I had a kid, right? So the Disney Channel has yeah, on right. movie. Has on a I movie. Wouldn't, I, mean, I wouldn't have been watching the Disney Channel obsessively, said uh, John Pedora, yeah, putting yeah. down Joey Bishop's biography. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't have time for this, he says, as he clicks pause on WandaVision to finish Sherry Lewis and Lamb Chop's <laughs> coffee table book. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Okay. Go on, go on. I, I want to hear your Yeah, right. The Disney Channel made one original Hanukkah movie. It was called Full Court Miracle. Hmm. And uh, like already. and what happens is uh, they they need a coach to help them. This is what it says on Wikipedia. They search for a coach to help them out of a slump during the Hanukkah season. There is no Hanukkah season. <laughs> anyway, uh, so there's a kid and uh, who is a student at what is called the Philadelphia Hebrew Academy in the movie. He and his friends are on the school struggling basketball team. And they they see a uh, a college basketball star who's like kind of homeless, and they and they they encourage him to become their coach. Okay, it's apparently based on some version of a true story. But the kids are like, when this little this fourteen year old boy goes up to the goes up to the African American uh, former basketball injured basketball player, he's like, hey, uh, you're Lamont Carr, right? They call me Schlotz. <laughs> his name is Alex Schlotzky. Oh, yeah. My friends, my friends call me Schlotz. <laughs> and like, it's like, and the, the, the other, the other players' names, Big Ben Swartz, Joker sure. Levy. They call me Joker. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, Schlotz. Uh, all right, that's good, Schlotz. Okay, but so that, 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 that kid. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Who could who could in, inspire a thousand pogroms? That yeah, is the worst legit. Jew. Yeah, the yeah. worst Jew. Not anti-philo-Semitic. This is a philo-Semitic well, movie. You don't know. I mean, I suspect. And I wasn't there for that pitch meeting, but I suspect the pitch meeting was like, "We got a great Christmas thing for you." And then someone said, "Well, we have like a lot of Christmas content. I mean, we're looking for Kwanzaa. We're looking for Hanukkah. We got it's Hanukkah. We got Hanukkah. It's Hanukkah." And they went into the car, in a car, and they went to the document, and they said, "Search for Jesus, replace with dreidel," <laughs> and then they brought it back. Here, this is what we, is, we didn't let, we didn't let us finish. We also have a Hanukkah show. Here it is. Yeah, and they just did that. My guess. 
Yeah. Well, I, I, I may have told this story before, and this is Rob's business, so I don't know why I'm telling pitch meeting stories. because I've never, I've never, I mean, I actually was in a couple of pitch meetings, wildly successful pitch meetings, trying to sell my book, Hell of a Ride, as a sitcom. That went, went really well. Um, but uh, uh, there's a, a story about a, a guy named Richard Rosenstock who was sort of hot in the early 90s. Richie Rosenstock. Sort of, yeah. And so... He goes into some, and he told uh, uh, our mutual friend Rick Marin the story. He goes into some pitch meeting, and he's got a he's got a story about you know a family and you know Missouri that some something or other, and he goes through goes through the meeting, and like the guy says, "I love I love it. This is so fantastic." But uh, can I can I just ask, um, could they be witches? <laughs> because you know, uh, witches are very hot right now. All oh, right, and we're looking for. So it's like a family, but yeah, you know, this is going to be like a sort of Wonder Years thing. It's like, yeah, yeah, but okay, can they be? Can they be? Can they be witches? And 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 maybe maybe Hispanic because we're also we're we're looking for some Hispanic content. Santeria, so like, I by the end, right, right? So by the end of the meeting, he comes in with a you know slice of life. Heartwarming comedy leaves with a show about Hispanic witches. That was the. That it's really was, not that different. They'll yeah. say it's really it's kind of it's actually it's actually more like what you wanted to do. They'll, they, they, yeah. the, uh, the best Richie Rose story. Very much like the Queen Latifah remake of The Equalizer. When you think about it, it really oh, is. Oh, oh believe me, they've been trying that? to they've been trying to remake The Equalizer, and they realize it's just all about just that person. And um, yeah. then someone said, "What about Queen Latifah?" Don't, don't, I'm going to say something now, and if I say it, and you guys yell at me, I'm, I'm out. All right, just say it. Queen Latifah. I like it. That's how that went. Uh, uh, the best Richard Rosenstock story I ever heard, it was uh, uh, the, the dawn, pre-dawn, uh, after the big Northridge earthquake. And he lived up, up a way, up a big steep hill in Brentwood, in kind of a new housing development. So there's like a lot of empty lots, a lot of like a cul-de-sac. And of course, it was like dawn, and everyone just kind of came out of their house to like check out with each other. And all the neighbors are there, and it's still, and you can see... Little fires in the distance starting, and you can hear sirens going, and the the town is blanketed in darkness, and it's spooky. And they're all sort of standing there, don't have to say everybody's okay. They're just sitting there checking checking gas leaks, all this stuff. And there's just all the neighbors are standing there, um, and they see at the bottom of the hill two headlights, and this car slowly putters up the hill, like. Slowly, and everybody's getting really like, what's going on? This is like spooky. And the car comes up to the cul-de-sac and goes around all the houses and stops in front of Richie Rosenstock. And the guy rolls down the window and says, Richard Rosenstock? He says, yeah. Here's your LA Times. He has to drive away. <laughs> like completely like, here's your LA Times. I was going to throw it on your stoop, but you guys are all awake. <laughs> Oh my God, that is amazing! <laughs> um, Richard Rosenstock has not been mentioned this often no. in twenty years. So he's well, I, uh, by the way a, a great guy and a wonderful writer. Very very yeah. funny. Like he did a show called The Marshall Chronicles that was just yeah. was was and Fly Blind. Great. He, and Fly Blind. He, yeah. he, he, oh, he, 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 he discovered Kaylee. Great show. He he discovered Yeah. Um, I also made a huge mistake not staying. 
in sitcom world because she actually had really good timing. Oh, funny, she's funny. Yeah. She's a genuinely yeah. funny person. Well, then now now she that, that she just finished being um, Hillary Clinton. Did she? Like she was on a she was on this CBS show in which she was playing Hillary Clinton, and the idea was called Madam yeah. Secretary, and then she was supposed to become president, or maybe she did. I don't know who the hell. Because she was um, supposed to become president. Yeah, she was supposed to become president. So. Um, anyway, that's, it'll happen soon enough. What, when does Kamala become president? Should we start a betting pool? Mm, that could be taken the wrong way. Right. Uh, also, do you, I mean, I don't know. There's another way of rephrasing what that bet is. Yeah. <laughs> well, when, when, when will, when will, when will Biden step down? You mean? Well, look, I mean, I think yeah. we could be honest. No, I'm going to come up with the most banal this is an, version. This is an issue that people have <laughs> talked about, right? Yeah. Um, he's an older person, and he mm-hmm. seemed a little, like, frail in the past. Uh, but I feel like this is a guy who is never going to he's, – he's going to – I I take the other upside. I think two terms. Why I not? Kinda, I, I kind of feel like, you know, like they just announced Bob Dole had has lung cancer. And I've always been a bit of a Bob Dole defender, but in 1996, when you saw Bob Dole fall off that platform thing, and the whole thing was about how he was too old to be president, did you anticipate that you'd be hearing about his health took a turn for a worse worse in 2021? I mean, it's kind of amazing. It that is was amazing. 25 years ago. Right. Let me let me I make agree. the case for why Rob is right. I, in a way I, that, will chill, yeah. that will chill and horrify uh, most of our listeners who agree with us ideologically. Here's the story. Biden is doing uh, mostly what the left of his party wants. He's consolidating the left with the giant stimulus bill and you know most of his policies and all that. Uh, the virus will uh, the virus period will end probably by midsummer, and there will be a colossal economic recovery, uh, almost without precedent, uh, and uh, the economy will roar back, uh, real incomes will grow, uh, there will be, it'll be, you know, the roaring 20s all over again, uh, the anticipated Republican boom of 2022 will not happen because the country will be in such a good mood that it will not feel it necessary to punish Democrats. In fact, maybe it'll reward Democrats. And then we'll go into 2023, 2024, and everything will be basically going okay. And we're, we'll be going crazy because everything will be woke. And, you know, there'll be terrible policies on all kinds of things. But um, the, the, the period of goodwill and good feeling and all of that will continue, as will the, uh, uh, the economic growth. And we'll go into 2024, and the party will nominate Trump again, and Trump will get 224 electoral votes, and Biden will get 306 electoral votes and win a second term. That's the best part is Joe Biden will pick, will dump Kamala and make Joe Manchin his running mate. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wow, I... I, I don't know. I'm just proposing this as a scenario... I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it seems as plausible to me as any other scenario. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And the idea will be, boy, he was – Democrats love him, and independents will say, well, you know, he – we were in a mess. He turned things around. 
uh, I don't want to go back there with Trump uh, to the craziness and the madness. Right, and right. so, uh, and so, uh, there we are. Also, Trump's pitch on the economy will not work by under your scenario won't work right. because if the economy is really good, then right, what's Trump going to do? Right. Uh, possible. It's possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems as likely as it seems if you're going to go with five scenarios, let's say it's a 20 percent. It's a one one of the five. Yeah, it's more likely than Andrew Cuomo being the nominee. In <laughs> oh, my God. I have to say I. Um, maybe because it's Sunday. I feel bad about my joy <laughs> at this i really do i really think it's wrong i think it's i i think it's the the joy of the implosion of andrew cuomo should come from legitimate policy things he messed up the uh, the covid response he was an incredible uh, a pompous arrogant jerk during it his the, the 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 state rollout of the vaccine has been atrocious he is a failure as a governor and I, I'm excited to see him pay that price because the media kind of loved him so much, and they and they, they hated Ron DeSantis so much. And it turns out that if you had to pick which state you want to live in, you don't want to live in New York; you want to live in Florida. Um, so I don't like the fact that I think he might get taken down by Me Tooism. Is that okay? I'm going to say two things. Okay, say two. How things. about say three things? How about how I about take this? on this as well? Okay, I'm just quickly going to say. What if he's not that terrible a governor? He mishandled yeah. COVID and he lied about he lied about the nursing homes and that is terrible. It's a moral stain. All Bad. That. Yeah. Okay. And he's uh, a thug and he shut down uh, important investigations into corruption in his government. Something called the Moreland Commission that he literally unilaterally shut down before it could get to him, which is a pretty shocking thing to do. And he's a bully and he's terrible, but. Here's what he's done uh, in his years as governor. He, we're on the verge of having LaGuardia Airport completely rebuilt. He put, he he got rebuilt or got okay. built a new what's called the Tappan Zee Bridge, which is uh, a, the Mario a, Cuomo Bridge. The Mar- now called the Mario Cuomo Bridge, but the Tappan Zee Bridge, which was maybe by you guys, I'm never going to call it that. Okay, but it was, about to, it was about to fall into the into the river. And he built a second one, got it done. He built this train hall, which is a replacement for yeah. Penn Station. Right. Okay, okay, okay. And the Second Avenue subway. All so right, I'm say, all right, and, all right. And hold on. All right. And because of his psychopathic hatred of Bill de Blasio, saved yes. the Success Academy charter school system. That's, that's Just true. to squash and punish de Blasio for being alive. So in all of these ways, You're right. maybe he hasn't been so terrible a governor. No, the I, 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 stuff, however, is real. It is real. These two allegations, in one case, a woman who has no reason to lie and has no reason to do this says he summoned her to his office and and kissed her on the lips after several occasions on which he made her feel extremely uncomfortable. And she has contemporaneous texts and emails showing that she had felt this way. And then this new one is a 25-year-old girl, uh, aide. Uh, he's 63, says to her, do you like to date older men? I would love to date a younger woman. Do you sleep with older men? How many older men have you slept with? And she said... What's she wrong was, with just asking questions? It's just like, you know what this is? Right. This is friendly banter. 
friendly okay. banter. Okay. Is is it from a nineteen thirties movie? It's wonderful. Anyway, so uh, you know, under under every under every political rule that he himself has laid out, including demanding that a cause, uh, uh, assemblyman named Vito Lopez resign because he supposedly sexually harassed somebody. Okay. Okay. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, You know what? Maybe maybe it's Chris Cuomo. So he was a good governor and he still deserves to go down. I hate a Cuomo. Yeah. There's a Cuomo I don't want to deal with anymore. And it's one of two. It's Chris then. Uh, A Cuomo has to go. (laughs) In my opinion. Jonah, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, so I um, I think you make a fine point. I mean, one of the things about Cuomo is I don't think he's a particularly woke, progressive guy, which is on the politics stuff. He's preferable to de Blasio. I don't like you saying that his, his psychopathic hatred of Bill de Blasio, I think the correct phrasing for it is his well-justified and utterly rational hatred <laughs> of Bill de Blasio. But the point I was going to make is, to Rob, when Rob says it makes him sad in a way that it's me too that is going to get him, I think that is you got Rob. I thought you were rigging it. You got to bring in some dynamic scoring here. Oh, the yeah. reason why I would argue that the and that these women feel they can come forward right now is precisely because he was so weakened by this other stuff, oh, and they smelt blood in the water. And I, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not imputing bad motives to these women. Right. I mean, it sounds like they have every right. reason and justification to complain. And, I mean, when I was joking about just asking questions, I, I take their allegations seriously and all that. But my point is is that um, the straw that broke the camel's back, the real weight that broke the camel's back was his behavior on the COVID stuff. And, like, it, there yeah. is such a well-founded principle in Judaism, in Buddhism, in just careful, the law, careful. is that when you, up, when you screw up handling a pandemic <laughs> and you win an Emmy for how you handled the pandemic, and then you write a book celebrating how brilliant you were in handling the pandemic, the universe is at some point going to take a crap on you from a great height. And, you know, you can... It's like you're complaining about yeah. the form of that Gozer took, the Destructor took at the end of Ghostbusters. You know, you didn't want it to be the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. You don't want it to be me too. But I think it's all connected. This is karma. He has it coming. And um, and you're you're justified in your Schadenfreude. I think that okay. Here, here I guess here's the background for me. Just since we're investigating our own souls here, uh, I read the Woody Allen autobiography. Apropos of nothing, and it's wonderful. That's the name of the book. By that's the, the way. name of the book. Yeah, <laughs> it's well, not that he read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is definitely apropos, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I read it, and it was really very, very good, very funny, kind of sprightly, very generous to other people, very generous to his accusers in many ways, except for you know one or two. Um. And I remain convinced that Woody Allen is completely innocent of these charges and is being unfairly maligned and is being attacked. And I just note that between the 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 child molestation trial, essentially, investigation and, ju- and, and judicial action, and, you know, 2010, 2012, 2013, when he um, – Suddenly started paying a price with it when all these actors started coming out saying, God, I wish I hadn't been in that movie. I wish I hadn't done that movie. I don't you know, release that movie. There's 20 years. 20 years 
since 20, the, 25 years 20, since the since he was officially yeah. and utterly and totally exonerated of these charges in fact it, it, the the Yale New Haven Hospital uh, investigators said that the child then child had clearly been coached right yeah and and people were in the movies and the only time they decided to turn on him was when he turned 80 essentially turned 80 years old and people thought well I don't know if he's going to really make – he's not going to be making any more movies, right? It was really uh, uh, the idea that of the two Woody Allen figures, there's Woody Allen and his son, Ronan Farrow, by, by 2015, 2013, Ronan Farrow was more powerful and had more showbiz pizzazz than Woody Allen. And so everybody said, well, what the hell? I, you know what? I believe Ronan. It just so happens that he's got a best-selling book and had a show on MSNBC, and Woody Allen's going to make a movie with somebody, but no one's going to watch it. He's doing an Amazon show now, so it's over. And I believe that whether people made that calculation overtly or not, that was the calculation. It's probably the same thing, not quite as nicely put, as what was probably going with Cuomo. The idea like, eh, the, guy's, the guy's a jerk. There's no reason to protect him anymore. I'm going to tell the truth. Uh, right. And the obverse or the reverse happened with Woody Allen, which is like, the guy's not powerful anymore. Uh, and his last two movies didn't really do well, and they opened up in, basically on streaming. So um, I, now I can say that I regret having been in a movie of his 10 years ago when the, the, all of the all the accusations were still there. Like, there's no new evidence. But this out. justifies what Jonah is saying. Yes, which I agree. Is that it, took, yeah. it took Cuomo being knocked off his pedestal yes. right. for it to be safe for Lindsay Boylan and Charlotte Bennett, the two women who have come out to say that he had sexually harassed them to do so. And in this case, well-founded fear of one of the most vicious uh, and, and, and um, I mean, there's a reason that Trump weirdly defended him a couple of weeks ago, Cuomo. Trump and Cuomo are very, very similar. And mm -hmm. Trump knows this. Cuomo doesn't want to think it because, of course, he's the anti-Trump. But Trump knows that he and Cuomo have very much the same approach, which is uh, intimidation and terror uh, and, and you know, making sure that people in his own party are so terrified of him that they don't challenge him. And that's what broke. Right. What broke is they're not scared of him uh, uh, any longer. So that's, a, that's an important change. Like, that's a very big, very meaningful change uh and you know what else sometimes needs to be changed speaking of change uh, kitty litter. I, I kitty litter needs to be changed and i'm trying to find the kitty litter what you really need to read it you can't just wing it i i i, I can't because they send you the litter it's, it's great so they send amazing. you the box it's so amazing it's so amazing that i have to read it the way they want it read Because are you a proud cat person? Jonah, of course, a very proud cat person. Known primarily for being a dog person, but also a, a lover of, of cats. And we, we, by the way, Jonah, we, um, the, the Glock family uh, mourns with oh. you on the passing of, uh, oh. of, your, of your cat, of Ralph, yeah. last okay. month. Yeah. So uh, you love your cat, but that doesn't mean you love having a litter box in your home. So guess who's going to take care of the more unpleasant parts of cat ownership for you so you can get back to loving your furry friend? The Kitty Poo Club. 
kiddie poo club is an all <laughs> litter box solution designed to be convenient for you. <clears throat> Every month, kitty poo. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, hold on. Uh, I gotta use my my. It's been, I, I long story think, back. Skill. Think of the Holocaust. <laughs> when did your magazine run that Baldwin essay? Oh my god. Uh, every month, Kitty Poo Club delivers an affordable, high quality, recyclable litter box that's pre filled with the litter of your choice. The boxes are leak proof, eco friendly, and have a fun design for every season. When the month is up, just recycle the box and Kitty Poo. Kitty Poo Club will automatically deliver a new one to you. No changing used litter and no more cleaning the box. <laughs> you can customize your order based on how many cats you have and what type of litter they prefer. <laughs> Come on. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. It's contractual, dude. Right, this is the contractual glove. And Kitty Poo Club has a no-risk guarantee so you can easily customize or cancel your order anytime. So give yourself the gift that keeps on giving the whole year a Kitty Poo Club subscription. Right now, Kitty Poo Club is offering you 20% off your first outlet. Order when you set up auto ship by going to kittypooclub.com and entering promo code GLOP. Just go to kittypooclub.com and enter promo code GLOP to get 20% off when you set up auto ship. That's kittypooclub.com and don't forget to enter promo code GLOP. Thanks to Kitty Poo for sponsoring the GLOP podcast. So, uh, hold on, John. John, in, in fairness to listeners and to our, and our, yeah, and our right. glorious sponsors, I should just be yep. clear it's actually a really great product. The fact that you're not a cat person and that you are the editor of this august journal and we can laugh at your pain at having to say the words kitty poo so much shouldn't take away from the fact that it's actually a great product and we it are glad product. that they are um, a sponsor of uh, Also, Glop. what were the most beloved sketches on the Carol Burnett show? They were the ones where it's Tim Conda and Harvey Corman cracked up, right? right. That's right. When they went That's up. Right. So, so this was a very memorable, I think, I think our sponsor here should, should take heart from the fact that this will be a memorable yeah it's also kind of that culturally it's I have really a suggestion for the i have a suggestion yeah. for scott emmergood and the vast uh marketing team at at ricochet is i don't know if they're if we're just recording the audio but if we're recording the video as well we are running the whole video without cut of you reading this and us laughing should go on Twitter as a as a yes. clip from this episode of Lock. and 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 mentioning the product. This is called engagement. It's supposed to be yes, related. it is engagement. There, engagement. Will be, there will be a great but also, thing. like there is a thing. There is sadly a... we do not have the video report, Scott. Oh well, so, oh, you just have to imagine it. Uh, but yes. there is something interesting about all this, right? Like like the um, number of improvements. That in your sort of like weird friction items in your life that that the I don't know, the new economy or the sort of lighter economy is creating because of shipping, because shipping's really easy now. Like uh, you know, the, the clothing stuff, you know, stitch fix and stuff like that, and then kitty poo and and um and, and I feel like it's, there's something about that I don't really know what to say about it, but in terms of the culture, there is some huge change happening and has happened and continue to happen. Because of 
the Jeff Bezos style logistics uh, revolution. revolution. The idea that the and, and 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 the past year have been really an example of that. I don't think it's going to go back. The idea that you can legitimately ship ship back, get order, and have in in moments, and that people are just sort of sitting around in some you know uh, we work now just trying to figure out okay what other thing in your life is sort of unpleasant that we could make really easy. And Kitty Poo is probably right there. Well, I'll tell you, it's interesting. In the Whole Foods, the Whole Foods I most often go to um, throughout this pandemic, but particularly in the last six months, I would say I'm not quite in the minority there, but it's close of shoppers because certainly a, the the there are almost half sometimes of the shoppers are – uh, Instacart or Amazon mm-hmm. del- home delivery kind of stuff. Right. And they're just in every aisle. There are people, and I'm sure part of it is, you know, a big part of it is is COVID. Um, but that's one of the things I think you could see having real stickiness and staying around after the pandemic leaves. Is, and there is, I got to say, you know, I'm not a huge any anti-inequality guy and all that kind of stuff. But there is like a certain sort of Morlocks versus Eloy thing about how yeah. the <laughs> the lumpen proletariat shops for all the people in my neighborhood um, and in fancier neighborhoods um, uh, for their you know their their the special you know brined feta and, and Greek yogurt, um, exposing themselves to the pandemic and and you know saving themselves from the pandemic while they're sending right. people out there to do it. But on the other hand, it's 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 actually a great service. I mean, I don't use it. Great service, yeah. I, yeah, it's a great idea. You know? Yeah, I mean, I kind of look forward to the little break of the day. The interesting thing about all that stuff is that I, I feel like I read this uh, probably in the late summer, so before Labor Day, uh, August, that the rate in, in terms of in New York City, the rate of infection among people who um, – employees of places like pharmacies, CVS and pharmacies and Cinderella and grocery stores and places like that stayed open was lower. Than the, than the average, and lower because they instantly took precautions. They all wore masks, and even in the even in the supermarkets, that when they opened up, they were sort of much more vigilant. And there was something about that was very weird to me. I, I, I don't know whether that that number that has stayed the same over time. Obviously, it's, we have now six more months of data, but it would be interesting to know if that had stayed stable. Can I bring a? Question up that in terms of Rob, you said you were trying to examine, you know, like your 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 soul being it's Sunday, a, yeah, is like Sunday, that, and yeah. and whether or not your Schadenfreude is is, is appropriate. So well, I would just like got back to know, church when he when we just started recording. So I would like to know, yeah. right, uh, whether my the um, contempt and anger that I feel towards Dr. Anthony Fauci is justified. I say this as somebody who, like you, Rob, and I think like Jonah, takes COVID seriously. I'm not a skeptic. I believed in, you know, uh, precautions and masking. I don't say I didn't, you know, I never bought the, you know, the Scott Atlas line or anybody who's saying, no, it's not going to be very serious or, you know, whatever. Um, but, uh, I I have been I'm increasingly angry at Anthony Fauci. It's been a year of him 
And the last three months have been Fauci desperately trying to make sure that nobody thinks that we're getting out of this soon. And um, as the most important public official talking about the virus and the pandemic, uh, and offering opinions, almost pundit-like opinions about things that even he doesn't know about, like when will we reach herd immunity? Like there's right. no nobody, all this stuff that that going for the we're not going to be normal until 2022. When I see my kids suffering uh, after a year of this, I see all my friends have kids who are suffering, uh, you know, emotional upsets right. and right. disjunctions and all this. And I just think he's te he's gotten and he spends six hours a day being interviewed. So he's not sitting there doing research. He's not sitting there in meetings talking about he is a he is a pundit. He is right. a publicly paid pundit about the virus, and I think he's doing a horrific, horrible job. But I don't know whether I'm blaming him for my own frustrations at the length and horror of the period, and whether I'm being unfair and unreasonable. So that's what I wanted to ask you, examining my own soul. I am sympathetic to your point of view. I certainly think his messaging is terrible at this point. Um, I don't understand. Um, and I, the only defense i think of it other than you know a a good faith to small c conservatism about wanting to under promise and over deliver and defending not being in a situation where he or his institution gets called out for being overly optimistic and blah blah blah, blah right. all that stuff aside is that he's actually being political and he's being um encouraged by the biden administration to sustain the sense of dread a little longer so they can get the COVID thing passed. And that shouldn't be what he's doing. Um, but I sometimes suspect that he is. At the same time, I don't think he's an evil character or anything like that, but it just strikes me as insane not to tell people, get the vaccine, that's how you get back to normal. Um, you know, that's how they... That, I, right. I mentioned this on another podcast about how Israel, that's how they're doing the messaging. And a few people from Israel emailed me and Right. You know, they filled in that that's exactly how it, it plays there is that get the vaccine, get back to life as normal. That's the deal. And when you tell people that even if you get the vaccine, even though there's some signs to support this, that if you take the vaccine, you still might have to wear a mask. Or two. You, now you have to wear two. two. Right. You know, yeah. or, you know or, which there is some signs to support, support that, but that you can't visit your grandkids if you've been vaccinated. I think is nonsense, and it's it's actually that's probably causing more vaccine hesitancy. Oh, I agree. Than any of this, like oh, it's the Tuskegee Airmen, you know, it's not sorry, it's the Tuskegee, you know, experiments that that yeah. that cause this. And I think it's it's very sad to me. And I, I but I, to me, it makes me sad. It doesn't necessarily make me angry at, at Fauci. Um, it makes me just sad about the state of this mess. I feel like we've we've internalized this sort of meta message analysis in our even in our day to day lives, and it's so deep now that even somebody like Fauci is unable to tell the truth without thinking first about how the morons might hear it. Yeah, it's the New York Times editorial position, which is well, well I'm not going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you something so that the, the, the morons reading this paper don't get the wrong idea. 
And that is sort of what's that is that has been the story of the coverage of COVID and the response to COVID for over a year now. It's been no matter. Let's let we're not going to tell you what's really happening because you're too stupid to handle it. And and we also aren't going to tell you what's happening because if you really knew what was happening, then you'd freak out because Americans have no tolerance for risk. And in fact, you look around America, you look around New York City, and all you see are people ready to tolerate risk. And they understand what the risk is, and they want to see their grandkids or whatever it is. They like, give me the vaccine, and then I'm going to go to my life as normal. And I understand that that's not going to be perfect. But there's this attitude from from this sort of top layer bureaucracy that, on the one hand, you're not going to be able to tolerate risk, and on the second, you're too stupid to make the calculation, and you're kind of too stupid to hear the truth. Well, so I have a, I have a theory about this, or I have a question about this. Like, true fact. As Casey Stengel would say, during almost every flu season, uh, N1, H1, all these different things that have come here, the Ebola stuff, whatever, um, the CDC and the NIH, they put out advisories all the time. And Americans, sort of like with the metric system, which none of us accept is, you know, uh, (laughs) is witchcraft. Right. They just ignore it. Right. And... I think that one of the things that may be going to some people's heads in the public health community is that this is the first time in a really long time where an enormous number of people are actually listening to them. Yeah, that's a very good point. This is a huge issue. This is a huge issue in all all, uh, public crises, right? I mean, it's like, let's say you're a skeptic about global warming. So just go from there because I'm, I'm just going to say, so one of the arguments in favor of global warming skepticism is that there was this backwater science study, right, which was the study of climate, which was like right. among the least heralded, interesting, whatever forms of study that anyone went into. It was a very nerdy, very, you know, focused local thing. And somewhere in the late 80s, suddenly this ancillary field becomes the most important field in the world and their money is flowing to the study of climate and uh conferences are built and the gates foundation dedicates itself to this and that and james hansen becomes the most famous person in the world and all of this and not only is there no incentive in media terms to being a skeptic or, or saying, I don't know that the science is this clear, but there is a, there is an absolute incentive to do, go, go the other direction and, 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 uh, and, and commit to it because it's so good for you personally. And people are not capable, you know, intellectual honesty or whatever you want to call it, ambiguity. When, when you're suddenly becoming heroes of the planet how are you going to turn that down? Right. How are you going to avoid that? Now, again, I'm I'm only proposing that as a as a as a as a sort of analogy here. But yeah, if you're that, Anthony Fauci and you suddenly become the most famous person in America, how does it not go to your head? Yeah, but so two points. One, the following point to what I was make, what I was going to say is that um, I think that once people get vaccinated, they are going to listen to Anthony Fauci. Much less, much more like much they would over. in 2009 or something, right? You know, it was like, oh, that's interesting. There's this COVID thing still around, but, you know, I'm going on with my life. 
but the other the other thing I was a different analogy, which also I think might work. I remember when uh, my old boss Ben Wattenberg used to talk about this all the time about how the um, the the Russia experts, the criminologists, the Cold War arms control guys, were like the most important eggheads in the eggheadosphere, particularly in think tank yeah. Washington, and. Everyone listened to what they said because they had this analysis and blah, 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 blah. And then when Russia became a basket case <laughs> and the Cold War ended, um, they were just like another set of right. policy experts, and no one listened to them as much as they once did. And um, and he used to name names about people who just couldn't handle the fact that, you know, NBC Nightly News, which used to be a real important thing, wasn't calling to interview them anymore because no one right. cared about Russia as much anymore. No one cared. That, okay. Well, I think Dmitrytov, when his meeting with Cohen <laughs> called, like it's always that you could see they a vacation together every year. No, they weren't. <laughs> yeah, you know, what we're talking about here is people's psyches and how they respond to things and react to things, and that's why I want to talk to you about better health, our last spot that's on the really show. Good, that's a really good segue. Well, thank you, because, look, in 2021, mental health is a thing. So many people are struggling right now, aren't feeling like they're normal selves. Therapy helps. And it doesn't have to be sitting around just talking about your feelings. So what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. You can talk privately to someone if you feel like you're not dealing well with stress or you're having relationship issues, whatever you need. Don't be ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions who are seeing what therapy is really about. See if it's for you, because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Glop Culture listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Glop. That's Better H-E-L-P. Dot com slash glop and thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring the glop podcast so um i guess uh we were gonna do a quick thing on uh, uh our friend james lilacs uh host of the other ricochet podcast that rob does uh the ricochet podcast the niche podcast podcast put up a post on uh on your favorite, is it your favorite malign movies or the no, malign movies you want to defend? Defend a maligned movie. Defend a maligned movie. And he kind of purposely kept it kind of vague. You can kind of, right. you know, you can interpret okay. as you wish. So in my case, I would say this. We should each defend a malign movie. But what we shouldn't do is say, you know what, Titanic is really great. I don't care what anybody says because Titanic made $2 billion. <laughs> or, you, you know, People are always dunking on Forrest Gump. You know, it's pretty great. Forrest Gump won eight Oscars. Like, find a movie that's actually Milan. If you can think of it, find a movie that actually people didn't like then, don't like now, and defend it. How about that? Can you think well, of anything? I can think of a few. Like, a, a classic ones, like Magnificent Ambersons is a fantastic movie. The last minute isn't so great, but the last minute's yeah. not the most important thing. All the way up old Yeller, last minute's rough. Last minute's rough, <laughs> yeah. It did not test well that last minute, I gotta say. I like the, speaking of Woody Allen, I like the Woody Allen movies that aren't, that nobody likes. I like Another Woman, where Jenna Rowland sort of sits in a, she's a therapist, I think, and she sits there and yeah. only hears people next door talking. 
and she becomes obsessed with them. I thought it was a really good movie, and everyone hated it. And certainly everybody I know hated it. Um, it had one of the worst lines. I think it was another woman. had one of the worst lines of dialogue ever um, where she's yelling at her husband. Somebody's yelling at her husband. A husband in in – Maybe it's Ian Holm, who played when he was in in one of the movies, and she's yelling at him because he's horrible. And he looks at her and he says, "I accept your condemnation." And just the way it was, he said it, it just seemed terrible. But it stuck with me forever. And um, everyone else I know who saw it, we would every now and then, if you said, "Hey, did you take the last of the 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 thing in the coffee in the coffee pot in the office?" I accept your condemnation. <laughs> Say instead of I'm sorry. But anyway, that's clearly lost. That's an interesting. Guys. Yeah. That's a, no, no, no. I actually, I, I think you underestimate that line because, as I recall, it's repeated twice. Maybe. And 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 the second time that she hears it repeated, she realizes that he's cheating on her or he's having an affair. Oh wow! Well, good uh, memory. Rep- I have no memory of the it. repetition remember, like, of it. Was, right? Because yeah. I actually thought I remember thinking. You know, that's a good piece of writing, what he just did oh, wow. there. And I, I often don't think that about Woody Allen. So, uh, or it's certainly the serious I, movie. I accept your condemnation. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Jonah, can you think of anything? Well, I mean, I, I can do, I mean, like, Magnificent Ambersons is, is, is like, I mean, in my film class, it was one of the yeah. films that we were recommended to watch. I mean, there's, there's, so I'm not sure that's. A fair example of something and maligned. So you're now, so you're I now maligning Rob's Rob's maligned. That's, that's in fact I am. Okay. Uh, um, I'm condemning him for his. Yeah, and he uh, accepts your condemnation, the malignancy. Um, all right, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna swing for the fences here. Okay. And um, uh, and pick a truly maligned movie. Truly okay. maligned. Yeah. The live. Action version based on the game Battleship. <laughs> Battleship. <Whoa>. Wow. <laughs> uh-huh. I gotta say, for it's sort of like um uh like you know like for a geek like me in the movies, every time there's a Transformers movie and the the trailer starts and I don't know it's a Transformers movie yet, I'm like, this looks like it's gonna be awesome. And then, like, 45 seconds into it, you're like, oh, crap, it's a Transformers movie. Because um, they do this sort of bait-and-switch thing on you all the time. The the Battleship movie, which I don't know if it's actually a uh, Michael Bay movie or not, but it is so dumb, and yet it works. Liam Neeson is fantastic in it. Um, and uh, it's... That's great. Mindless... Dumb space invasion movie that if you're hungover or bored, it's the it's it's it it gets you, and uh, I don't mind rewatching it at least for right. bits and pieces. Okay, yeah, I have the in fact, in fact directed yes, Peter Berg, who made yeah, yeah. closet who made, uh, Yes, uh, I don't think so. Closet actually. No. Okay, so my choice is a movie that is was maligned then and is now so maligned because of who was in it that it will never be seen again. Uh, and that was the 2013 Lone Ranger, which everybody I hated. I watched that with my daughter. My and, daughter loves that movie. Okay, I really liked it. Uh-huh. So, he, so it, it stars Cannibal, Cannibal Army Hammer. 
who will never get a job again because his ex-girlfriend revealed that he had fantasies about eating her. And Johnny Depp, who is going to have a lot of trouble working again because he he made the incredibly dumb decision of suing a woman that he hit for libel. Uh, you know, a woman that he unambiguously abused physically and then claimed she libeled him and basically has destroyed his life and his career by doing so. And so this movie, which was a legendary flop when it came out, mm-hmm. um, and I thought it was great. I thought it was funny. I thought it was interesting. I thought I they were both. Review. They were both great together, and uh, and so um, and uh, Lucy likes it. So Jonah, did you like it? Because I I saw it. You know, the weekend it came out, and I think it has some of the best action sequences in an almost almost cartoonish way, to be sure. Right, um, almost Fast and Furious with horses kind of way, um, but of any movie. Any Western ever made. I mean, it's a, it, it's got a lot of good stuff in it. It's a little too long. and um, But I kind of liked what Johnny Depp did with Tonto, where... Um, another another know. reason it will never be seen, because, of course, Johnny Depp plays a, plays a, plays a right. Native American, uh, and you're not allowed to do that anymore, obviously. But um, I was going to say... So, yeah, I like it. I mean, I, I, partly because my daughter likes it so much that uh-huh. it's sort of, you know... It gets it. Right. It gets grandfathered in, as it were. But right. I actually liked the remake of the Lone Ranger from what was it, the early '80s, where oh. Christopher Lloyd played the bad guy in it, and yeah. I can't remember wow. who played. Um, Would you like me to now tell you because I have this detritus in my head that is so awful that I now remember the name of the actor who played the Lone Ranger? Okay. Oh my God, Clinton Spilsbury. In the movie or in the TV show? In the movie that came out in the early 80s. Yeah. His name was Clinton Spilsbury. Wow, that really was a launching pad for him. Wow, yeah. (laughs) And I am so upset that I remember that. I mean, in, because in his, in his in his defense, he goes by Clint. Clint Spilsbury. <laughs> Clint Spill. Clint Spill. Uh, anyway, yes. I, I thought that was pretty good, too. But uh, I think uh, the... Uh, Really interesting thing about the Johnny Depp uh, Lone Ranger you mentioned is, uh, as I recall, it concludes with a, like, almost half an hour sequence where there are two trains running side by side, and they're jumping back and forth between the trains. That's pretty good. And as it builds yeah. and it builds and it builds, and then, as you're about to hit the climax where both trains are going to go over a cliff or something, that's when the William Tell Overture starts to play. Yeah. It's yeah. like, and you've been waiting the whole movie for the Lone Ranger theme, which right. is Mercedes William Tell Overture to come on, and finally you hear, and you're like, whoa, this is great. Except Lucy Goldberg and I are the only two people who really thought so, yeah, I think so. as far as I can tell. <laughs> you know, but uh, if you want a malign movie, that's where I'm going. Uh, uh, can I just add one more? I know we got to run. One more, I would say, is Ishtar. Mm. Huh. Well, Ishtar has good, I, I, as I recall, Ishtar has good things in it. Oh, Ishtar is, it, it, yeah, but it's like, okay. it's a good comedy. It's got, it's got a terrific, you know, first hour where they were in New York. Yeah. And it's just Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty kind of. Writing bad songs. Writing bad, the bad songs right. are great. Yeah. yeah. Can, can I just make a confession here? I've yes. never understood the fascination with, the admiration for, or the alleged acting skills of Warren Beatty. 
to me, well, that's he a is top, one of the most overrated figures in the history of Hollywood, and I've just never, I've never got. It's sort of like I, I'm, you know, I'm a little younger than you guys. The fascination with Elizabeth Taylor always kind of mystified me, but I can read up on it. And I like, okay, I get that. You know, I understand that. To this day, I don't understand why people like Warren Beatty so much and why they think he's such a good actor. Um, I just don't get well, it. Well, we should. That's a that's it. a topic for another show. That's that would be an interesting camp. topic that, for another a non-contractual show. glop. A yeah, non-contractual exactly right. glop. That's but right. What do, you, okay. what do you call a group of podcasts? A glop of podcasts. <laughs> there you go. So uh, remember. So I'm going to pitch my own merch. Commentarymagazine. Com. Go buy sure? our t-shirts and and tote bag and sweatshirt. Jonah, what do you have for the people? I, I, I got, what do you I have got to sell for people? people. Uh, you should all just become uh, members of the Dispatch community so you can see our Dispatch Live stuff and um, and so we can continue to conquer the the known universe. Yes. Rob? Uh, my own little four-minute martini shot podcast is coming back in a week. I mean, Fantastic. it's back now, but there's right. new stuff in a week. And, uh, well, and it's of course, all new, but just like yeah. really new stuff. And of course, you got Jonah uh, twice a week uh, on the Remnant, and I'm there five three days times, a week. On three times, the ruminants, the ruminants yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we got, uh, I'm five days a week on the the Commentary Magazine okay. Daily Podcast. So uh, you will, you could just overdose on us like like uh, like crazy if you like. So many podcasts. A glop of podcasts. A glop of podcasts. See you guys. Later. Join the conversation.
you guys read this New York Times story I haven't read about how podcasting, the do-it-yourself do nature of podcasting is being ruined by all the corporate spending? Did you see this? Ruined. It's being made great. More corporate spending screams us. Yeah. I watched the Ralph Lauren uh, oh, I documentary. I, I think it, like, I would say that the two most um, positive and uh, uh, truly American figures in, Amer in the United States today in 2021 are Ralph Lauren and Dolly Parton.